It was the year 2000. I was the 13-year-old skateboarding grommet and I had just watched the XEN Skateboards VHS, A New Beginning. There was one section in the video that stood out to me because of the song, the filming, the trick selection and the spots. And to me, being a young skateboarder with not much exposure to different skateboarders and talent and styles, I just thought this section really stood out to me and showed me how diverse skateboarding on the street could actually be. This part remained etched in my mind for many years to come. And fast forward to 20 years later, when I just started painting, I somehow came to connect with this individual. And to me, that was like a childhood dream kind of fulfilled, being able to connect with a skateboarder from a video that I watched as a kid. And I've just found this person to be so inspiring as an artist and as an individual. Hello and welcome, wherever you are in the world, to the Clairvoyant in the Classroom podcast. I'm Nathan Starho, a clairvoyant healer and a classroom teacher, and I'm here to share my message about the natural, inborn, intuitive abilities that each of us has access to and how they can be blended to support the work that you do as a classroom teacher. I'd like to welcome my friend, skateboarder and inspiring artist, Nick Collison. Hello and welcome and thanks for joining us today, Nick. Hi Nathan, thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into painting? Um, painting has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. Um, I remember being very young, and not just painting, all sort of creative um, art forms. I remember being a, a young kid living in Canberra when my family was there, just playing with clay. My mum had clay for us, we played with that. Drawing, making sculptures, it was just very intuitive for me to, to make things and draw things and work with pictures. Um, so not like I start I don't feel like I started I think it's just not like a constant innate thing mm -hmm. for me so it's always been a part of your life it's always been there and um, from the sounds of it it sounds like it grew and evolved from one thing to the next yeah it certainly did <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and what were some of your key influences or key moments in your life that you can reflect on that helped I guess shape you into an artist or shape the way that you express yourself in your life today? I, I, I'll try to keep this relatively brief, although there are some significant things that have contributed to the way I think as an, of an artist, think as an artist, or the way I approach making. Um, one of them is, I mean, one of them was spending time with a teacher outside of high school who sort of taught me just conventions of picture making, just and that was just to develop facility. And in terms of technique, that was very helpful. 
Another thing that was very helpful for me was at a certain stage being very honest with myself and asking myself, what is there to paint? You know, and really drawing a blank early on. You know, I intuitively did this thing, I kept making, but then asking myself a deeper question about what is this thing called art, what does it do? Uh, from there, you know, talking about over a number of years, sort of continuing to make and think about work. Um, various experiences happened and I, I ended up becoming interested, very interested in meditation very early on in my 20s, mm -hmm. in my 40s now. And that changed everything for me in a quite a profound way. Um, I, for, for various reasons, was very, very committed and fascinated by what meditation was and is and the questions that could be addressed through that form of um, contemplation or consideration. And it just, it just ended up opening up different attitudes to creativity, process of creativity, and it's something I'm, you know, it changed my life then and I'm still in the sort of ripple effect of those informative, um, around 20, you know, but I consider formative artistic experiences, these mm -hmm. deep questions or yeah. significant questions that I asked myself at that time. Mm -hmm. And from the sounds of it, it sounds like meditation helped you to embrace your creativity more in the way that meditation opens your mind up and opens up your awareness to recognize different things in your thinking, your emotions, your psyche. And it helps you to connect with your imagination. And from the sound of the way that you've lived your life, you've allowed that to shape and to guide your experiences and express it in a very unique kind of way. Well, I'm glad it appears unique. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm unashamedly happy to rely on uh, those who I think have been along sort of creative journey before me in the past, whether it's um, people I know now, whether it's people from 100 years ago, 1,000, 2,000 years ago, when I encounter fascinating, insightful, artistic um, works, I wasn't going to say expressions, because they're not just expressions, not just expressing something, they're setting up a catalyst for the viewer to have an experience as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's the hallmark of a, what marks up a meditative work as opposed to a, what I might have been doing before I was a contemplator. A meditative work is a catalyst for the, for the, for the audience. I'm not going to say for what, but mm -hmm. for various things. It's, it's an occasion for consideration as opposed to you know, what we might get from our advertisement, which is buy this, you know, value judgments about what's good, what's bad, what's tasty, what's sexy, all those things. Um, art does something a little bit different. The way art uses imagery and language does something different. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And I've noticed that you are currently teaching art as a subject and art at an academic level. Could you explain a little bit about this for our listeners? Uh, yep. Well, I teach at the National Art School. And it's a studio-based school. Um, what that means is we teach or I help uh, students to uh, understand and develop their own facility with materials and their own innate relationship to meanings that they have, you know, uh, 
Of course, there's sometimes when I'm showing them bits of history and examples about maybe stylistic or technical things that have been done, attitudes to, to color. Um, but in the end, my, I'm really, for myself, I'm helping to try to allow that person to um, be honest <laughs> with themselves as an artist. And we're all, people are at different stages, so being honest with where they're at. You know, I never set the bar, I never say this is where you need to be, this is what you should think. I think that if people are honest with their practice, their artistic practice, they'll, they will find their own way to where they need to, need to be. And sometimes it's just about asking very simple questions. Sometimes it's technical things. I'm happy to teach color. Just how do you mix this thing? That's, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. So I'm never prescribing anything too lofty or anything too obscure happy to share those things and it's, it can, some students are really asked for those things and want to want to want me to pre present uh, different models of artistic practice never the right never what's the right model but different models of artistic practice from the past but yeah so in the in the studio-based learning environment it's multi there's different different facets to it there's the material things there's the imagine I don't really like to say conceptual I'll say poetic or imaginative aspects mm -hmm. to, to art making um, but yeah, just trying to trying to help people, and, and it's a wonderful it's a wonderful job. It's rewarding. Uh, I get to talk about painting and art with with different people from different walks of life and see how they relate to it. So I find it endlessly fascinating. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So did you have a positive experience with painting and art classes when you were going through your own schooling? Um, for, it's Peculiar for me, my own energy for art almost seems to eclipse school, schools completely. So from what I can say is, I mean, I did have a positive experience, a peculiar experience. You know, I remember, and this is just to, sh just to show you how much energy I had to, for it. I remember being a, a student in, must have been first grade in Canberra, and we were making Christmas decorations. There was a prescribed thing that we had to follow mm -hmm. but I was essentially on the floor behind the tables making this elaborate thing completely improvising the whole thing just off off the project but the teacher had the wherewithal just to let me go and do my thing and I sat down there for extra time and completed this thing it was Santa with a bunch of reindeers all combined with mm -hmm. thread going between it and that's what I, I, I needed to make that and I just mm -hmm. completed it so um, I would, and I would be drawing in every class. I would be, that's my uh, way of relating to, it's a way of relating to information and experience. Mm -hmm. I think different people are calibrated in different ways. Uh, some people are particularly sensitive to image, image making and responding to the world in that way. And I think that that's just, it's innate. It just came out all the time. So I, it's like, all of school was an artistic venture for me. You know, mm -hmm. every pro I, I do a project on dinosaurs. And I love drawing the dinosaurs. I might be do not as well at the written component, but I love drawing the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. and put energy into that. Mm -hmm. So, to answer your question, just in a nutshell, yeah, I mean, it was. I enjoyed the prescribed art projects as well. You know, they were fun too. Mm -hmm. I love that the way that you've just described experiencing schooling as a complete art immersion in terms of expressing yourself and engaging with everything so visually. And I know this isn't always the case with 
a lot of students in terms of they might withdraw from art classes because they don't like following along with what's prescribed or they're reprimanded for, say, drawing in their classes or drawing in their books when they shouldn't be. And there's a lot of structure to say, you know, this is reading, this is writing, this is logical time. And in a lot of classes that I've been in, there's not always a lot of room for the imaginative, creative expression, such as what you've described in your own experience of schooling. So listening to what you've just said, for me, and for others, I hope, as teachers, I hope that this inspires you to let some of your students explore and express themselves more visually if that's how they're wired and that's what they resonate with most. And this brings me to my next question. I know that in many schools around the country, reading, writing and arithmetic are the main priority. And art is seen as something that has to be done, but it only gets done about once or twice a week. And when I think about this, it almost portrays the subject of creative arts as a bit like a chore, you know, something to do that's on the list, but doesn't get much time and attention. And because of this, I feel like a lot of kids miss out on being able to experience that creative artistic journey in their schooling. And a lot of the time they have to you know, go outside of school to experience that. And another impact of this is that a lot of teachers, say in primary school in the country, don't feel confident or comfortable or willing to engage with art that much as a subject. Do you have any advice for, say, any primary school teachers who might find it a bit difficult to teach art as a subject? Um, I mean, you've covered a lot of things there, lots of issues wrapped up in that. Um, I mean, I'll answer your question, the specific question about advice for teachers in a moment, but even like, you know, you hear about math and people who are, who are innate ability with mathematics, talking about that as a creative uh, subject and creative venture or creative thing. Um, you know, I remember being in, maybe I asked the wrong questions in the wrong class sometimes, but I remember being in high school in, P, in physical education, PE or, or sport, as they call it. I'm, I, I did some of my school in California, so they call it PE there. Sometimes you get the words mixed up. It's PE, physical education, or it's called mm -hmm. sport here. But and I just, I was answered a very simple question. You know, and I, I'm not saying I had a you know, innate, uh, profound, uh, sort of pronounced ability with mathematics. I mean, I enjoy it, but I just had this question, the silly question: what, e what even is a number? You know, if we're, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching these things. You know, sometimes people who are, who are wired for creativity are going to ask the most 
seemingly silly questions, but very profound, but actually significant questions. And what even are numbers? What is this virtual world of quantity and measure that we're, we're living in, that we measure ourselves by in so many ways, whether time, wage, all these things, what are these things? <laughs> you know, the, the, mm -hmm. I'm going to unravel that now, but, but that's a creative question. That's a creative uh, uh, way of re relating, to math relating to mathematics, just asking what even are these things? You know, not what you can do with them. And what you can do with them is creative, but what even is it? And that's one of the things that comes through with drawing or painting. What are, what is this experience of looking? What is, what is the experience of translating something? So maybe I'm segueing into the answer to your question. I would encourage students, uh, teachers, uh, to allow their students to, to freely translate visual impressions or memories and things. I think it's important to recognize that we're all translating um, the world in some way as we go, whether it's through creative writing, um, which is also an art, you know, that's art, art as well. The writing, the literacy thing is art. It is, you know, mm -hmm. uh, attitudes to language, what it does, what is presented within it, how it's presented, called persuasive arg argumentation, all those things, that's an art too. Mm -hmm. um, but within, without art making, um, just allowing for exploration. Um, of course, you know, people who may not, I, you know, an art, is an art, so there's particular skills and ways of thinking within it that can be sharpened over time. And those who paint or engage with an art form, whether it's music, poetry, painting, for long enough, they calibrate their senses in a way that's different to other people. That may not be immediately accessible to someone who's teaching a more uh, a subject with measurable outcomes, like did you get the equations right? Do you know your times tables and things like that? But I still think that you know, just setting up a, a space for, or a time for, for the students to engage in color, playing with color, enjoying color, not necessarily thinking about outcomes, measurable outcomes, even not even maybe not even grading it, you know, having a time in school where you're not even marking these things, where the student is not no longer having to having to perform in any mm -hmm. way, might be a good way to to approach art rather than going, did they color within the lines? Did they do this? No, but allowing, you know, it might be, it might be very, you know, I, it's been a long time since I've been in, in primary school or high school, but I think allowing time for non-graded, non-marked mm -hmm. time might be a good way to approach mm -hmm. art. Absolutely. And whatever project happens in there, maybe the project is a catalyst and if a student deviates from that, great. They've thought creatively. They've actually been artistic. They've mm. moved the, the the project along in some way. Mm. Um. Absolutely. I think the the whole graded element of artwork and you know having to meet certain outcomes kind of destroys the process or the enjoyment or value of art making at mm. times. And for me personally, I feel like that's something that I struggled with as a student and even as a teacher back when I was teaching primary school feeling like you know I had certain obligations to teach certain things within a certain context and within a certain construct and you know feeling that pressure of having to get certain things done mm -hmm. So I like that idea of having that expressive open space 
that isn't graded and allows students to just explore and engage and really just play. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th I, I think that that's, a, that's a good approach to it. I was going to say something else. There's so many, so many ideas are, are there's so many ideas associated with this this idea of what, how you teach art, what you do with it. Mm -hmm. um, I also think the social aspect of it is significant because after all, you know, if you're an artist, a writer, a poet, you're making these things to be looked at, read, thought about. Mm -hmm. So I think sharing the experience with the fellow, with your classmates, and it might be a time where it gets silly, and I, I know kids are silly. They're gonna mm -hmm. it might be like silly things that happen in class, but but I think that's all part of it as well. You know, heaven forbid we should laugh in life. Hmm. I mean, why not? Why not make a project where it's make the silliest picture you can, try to elicit the most laughter out of the classroom. Like, yeah. th that's a one. You know, hmm. the world's getting pretty serious these days. I think a little bit of laughter. I mean, I might sound like a madman, but you know, I'm on the. I think fun and laughter is not a bad thing in life. I, think mm. we're I, like, I like the way you think, and. Um, I think it goes back to that concept of allowing teachers to let go of control. And I know at times it can feel like teachers have this pressure or it can feel like there's someone looming in the background, you know, watching over their program, watching over their curriculum, making sure everything gets ticked off the box. So. I think if teachers can approach art making with a more fun and playful perspective, they'll benefit from it and their students will benefit from it much, much more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. In terms of your own paintings, can you describe your art making process? Um, uh... Well, there's, there's how I approach it now, which is multifaceted. I've, I'm open to any approach to making a work. I, I don't try to find one uh, technique. That said, I, use, I mainly use oil paint on canvas. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that limitation, that convention. I have an affinity with it. And I find that I, I, I naturally work that way. Um, I mean, some, some people talk about art needing to be digital in these new mediums. That's fine. You know, things change, but, or mediums can be developed, but I, I'm a big believer in just, you know, within that limitation, and because of that limitation, I, I can be creative because I'm thinking about different ways I might work with paint, build up layers, and, and, and use, the, and, and talk about things or present things for a viewer to consider. Um, that said, um, in the past, I've gone through stages about, of wanting to draw, you know, what they call realistically, which I don't actually think that's realistic. Being a human camera isn't realism. It's, it's a form of, it's just a convention of picture making. Um, but uh, I've gone through stages of working just with color and abstraction, just getting affinity with what, how just the paint moves as a material, how it feels using different shapes together, what the mood of a painting can be. Mm -hmm. um, and now I kind of, coming up to right now, I, I'm very much, I improvise a lot. I might have a source image or an idea or, I mean, this painting behind us here we're seeing, I, I had a photograph of this fence that I saw along 
suburb near here, but the background was just improvised on the spot. I just, I knew I wanted this space receding with an early morning or afternoon light um, and, some, and just soft colours, very gentle on the eye. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I like that because I like walking at those times, I like walking at night, I like walking as you know, I mean, beautiful, sunsets are beautiful, and I'm unashamedly going to use beauty as part of my work. Um, but yeah, just improvised the background and then integrated the, the, um, the uh, or found out, or actually I did a study on this canvas of this fence in charcoal first, which is actually a different orientation, and I found, just to test it out and have it, just feel how it would sit, what, this, what the geometric relationships are going to be within the painting. And then I found out, no, I actually need to rotate the orientation of the canvas. A vertical one would give me more space than mm -hmm. I need. Um, and so, and then I just proceeded to build it up. Um, I did this painting relatively quickly. I, I, sometimes I put a lot of thought into paintings. Um, now there's a painting that I did recently, or a couple, maybe two months ago, and I thought about the painting for three years before I painted it. Mm. I had the idea, this genesis, this thing, and then I executed it in one night, maybe two nights, I had a few things the next day. This was in one night. I'll work extremely quickly. So, and part of that's because I have such familiarity with, with colour mixing and paint itself. I, and all that's intuitive, I don't need to calculate. I can just work and I know. I, I feel my way through. Mm. Um, mm. Improvise my way through the painting. And I feel like intuition plays such a big role in art making in terms of you know flowing between the colors being able to mix them uh, being able to concentrate to focus uh, to let go of control in another sense and it's almost like engaging with an extension of your senses so that you can produce what's in your mind or outside of your mind for that matter how much of your intuition would you say that you rely on for your art making process um this is this is this is a tricky subject mm -hmm. um i could generally say intuition is what i'm relying on but i and this opens up the part of meditation as a, as a guiding principle or influence on painting or even a foundation of painting. Within meditation, you know, you're engaging with the intellect, the mind, the experience of the mind. And I've, from my experience, I've found that the mind has different attributes to it. You know, there's us, the idea of me, but then there's what words do I want to use? I mean, historically, there's been different words used for these these things. Um, in in, Pla in in the Renaissance, they called the muses that would move you. In Plato's writing, he talked about divine madness as a, something that moved the artist. And even Socrates, and this is, this is just some of the stuff I enjoy reading because I found it fascinating. Socrates, he would put these little ironic or funny little comments in his dialogues. He's saying that he goes off on this lofty exploration or, or of an idea, and then we'll say, "Oh, excuse me, I must have been moved by Pan," you know. And Pan, my, Pan is a mythological character, but Pan also represents one of these archetypes of the intellect or creative force that's, that's in nature and possibly, and obviously, we partake of in some way as we we create our lives or create meaning for ourselves. But so, 
allowing these, it's not so much, I mean, there's intuition, my intuition about maybe a judgment, I, this, this feels right, but also allowing these creative forces to come into my painting and, mm -hmm. and trusting that, that uh, in terms of my choice of subject matter, in, choice of, in terms of the choice of color and feeling, and some of the, 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 um, the outcomes of this are in retrospect. You know, I work, and there's been times I've worked where I haven't shown a lot of paintings. It's just working through ideas, investigating creative process, and then in retrospect, I've looked back and seen, oh, I can see this archetype, this mental idea was, was preoccupying me at that time. Mm. And that's only become, become evident because I'm an older artist. I mean, I'm in my 40s, but I mean, I think older artists in their 80s, and I love listening to the work, reading the poetry or looking at the paintings, particularly like reading poetry. It might be ironic that I'm a painter, but I love poetry. I love reading the poetry of older poets. You know, they've certainly gone through a lot of the process, a longer process, longer experiences of life, and they're, they're channeling a lot of things, and they're working very intuitively. Mm -hmm. um, into, I guess you could say into, intuition is certainly part of it, but then there's other forces that come into, into the painting, which I trust. Mm -hmm. If that's intuition, then I'm answering yeah. your question. It's the inspiration that comes from within yeah. and all around us, yeah. seen and unseen. Mm. Now that brings us to our last question. So I've noticed with a lot of your paintings, you don't exactly specify what the themes or the interpretation is behind the painting. And I really appreciate how you convey your paintings with such openness. Could you describe or explain a bit of the reasoning behind this? Um, I think there's maybe two ways I could tackle it. Possibly I'll discover more while I'm speaking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, one of them is I think that, you know, for all my, you know, I could have a, I could presume a, one meaning, one master meaning for a work, but actually the truth of the situation is that's not necessarily going to come across and people come to the painting with their own concerns, their own preoccupations and, and they interpret it in their own way. So again, even if I, even if I wanted it to be one meaning, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> no, it's, so in some ways I'm acknowledging the, the, what's natural about our engagement with, with um, information and I think that the, uh, and so that opens up the next part of it, is that I think that I'm interested in, you know, as I'm interested in painting and art being a, a, something that can move people and the different ways we're moved and the different ways we think about, uh, think about things allow us to negotiate um, tricky aspects of life in different ways. And maybe I'm sounding very abstract about this, but even just think of a, you know, a love song or a song that you enjoy, you know, you listen to it and it gives us, we relate to it in our own way and we listen to it again and again because it connects us with something in the past and opens up ideas for us to think about, you know, so again, it's not about the one meaning, but it's about the meanings that unfold for that, for that, um, for each person. I mean, but within that, I do think about the, the subject, the, the objects I include in my paintings. I, I do like to make picture paintings, I call them, you know, with pictures in them, mm -hmm. images, because I like them to be a catalyst for imaginings and journeys and considerations. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective. And I really hope that through listening to this conversation, 
it inspires a lot of... We got an artist moving something in their studio. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your perspective on your art making process and your reasoning behind this openness to approaching artwork, creativity and the art making process. And I really hope that some of our listeners get a lot out of this in terms of being able to approach their own teaching and learning either for themselves or for their students in their classrooms with a more open approach and a more appreciative approach for what lies in the imagination and to cater for the needs of, say, learners that are visual. Just as a final thing, if people are interested in seeing more of your work or learning more about the things that you do, where can they find your work? Um, well, in this day and age, Instagram is kind of a easy access to see things. So Nick Horton at Instagram um, mm -hmm. and uh, Paint Studio, which is the studio we're at now. This is a, a shared studio space that I run in Marrickville in Sydney, Australia. Um, you can look at the Instagram site for that as well. You'll see the other artists who are here working. Um, also, I show with Liverpool Street Gallery in Sydney, and there'll be future shows in different venues and you know, to be announced, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. we'll see what happens with those. Thank you for that. I'll make sure that I include those in the show notes at the end of this. Thank you so much for joining us here today and hope to have you on here again sometime. No problem. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode with Nick. I found it to be very fascinating and inspiring to talk about creativity, its impact on intuition, development, education, personal growth. And I think this has given me something to think about in terms of how I blend creativity into my day-to-day -day living. And it serves as a great reminder of how I can be more engaged in creative processes. There's always room to improve, make adjustments, and find ways to constantly reinvent what you're doing, who you are, and where you're at. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to our channels, leave a review, and any comments, questions or feedback, you can stay connected to us through finding us on Facebook or Instagram at Clairvoyant in the Classroom. And you can visit our website, which is www.clairvoyantintheclassroom.com. And you can check out our blog, our teacher resources, our articles. Until then, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye now.